Right, so I'm not trendy, so actually we did deal with God's dealt with draw, not his sorted draw. <laughs> He's dealt with draw last week. Does anybody uh, remember what that was about? Everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I remember. Come on. Do you remember what it was about? Okay, let me give you a little, little pacey. In the Old Testament, God entered into a contract. He calls it the Old Covenant. Uh, we sometimes give it a different name, which is the law. And under that contract, there was terms, there was conditions, there was a price to be paid, there was penalties if you got it wrong, sometimes really severe penalties. And Jesus came and he fulfilled every term of that contract. He met all the conditions. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. And people, they read that and they go, well, you know, so we, we just need to keep the law now. No, what that means is Jesus fulfilled the law. Once God said something, he doesn't take it away. So he, couldn't, he, he wouldn't take away the old covenant. He doesn't take away the law. But Jesus met every term, every condition. He paid the penalty that had to be paid. He paid the price to buy us back. And we are now his. And as far as God's concerned, according to the book of Hebrews, which I believe, as far as God's concerned, the old covenant is now dealt with. It's complete. It's fulfilled. There's nothing more to be done. Now, I ask this question. When did that happen? When did that, old when did that contract get fulfilled? When Jesus died at the cross and rose again. Yeah. Good answer, simple answer. If in doubt, you know, like in Sunday school, the answer was always Jesus. Now you're grown up, we have a, an answer that it's always the cross. Okay? And so when we, when we come to the, the Bible and when we come to our relationship with God, we have to see everything through the light of the cross. Things change forever because of the cross. And so God... Um, has dealt with that whole covenant because of what Christ did at the cross. Now, I asked another question. How, well, I won't embarrass anybody by saying who's the oldest person in the room. Uh, just a clue, it's not me, thankfully. Um, but was anybody around 2,000 years ago? You know, just as a, as a, just as a test, no? Nobody, any, anybody get within like 1,900 years of that? Got anybody over 118 here? No. Um, some of you, like, you know, weren't even um, born by the time I'd retired, so there you go. Um, but because you weren't there 2,000 years ago, what can you do to help Jesus? What can you do to contribute to that fact? What can you do to change it? Absolutely nothing. So it's a done deal. It's dealt with, right? So that's where we got to last week. Jesus had kept all the conditions. And that means what's left for us is the good. Under the, old, under the old covenant, it was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Now, it's we get good because Christ is good. And he's good. Go on then, I'll do it again. And he's good all the time. All the time he's good. Why? Because the old covenant is dealt with. He's not standing there angry because he's paid the price already. He's out of speed from last week. You all seem a bit sleepy this morning. I've got a word for you. Wake up. 
Okay, so I just want to uh, interweave a bit of, uh, I guess, my family story this morning. Um, about five and a half years ago, my daughter Jessica was um, decided to go on a gap year. And so she worked for, I think, about seven months at Deloitte. And then she spent the next seven months spending all the money traveling around the world. And Cheryl and I had taken her uh, to Heathrow, where she was flying out from. She was off to America first. And uh, we drove down to Heathrow, and we uh, um, were at the bit where, you know, where you go through security. And Jess was just about to go through security, and Cheryl's phone rang. And so Cheryl said, well, I've got to take this call. So she went and took the call, and she came back, and she said, oh, it's... It was just Nana, she was saying, you know, have, have a great time and all that sort of stuff. And so Jessica went through and, you know, said goodbye. Now, like, this is the first time that our, any of our kids have, like, been away. And so what, all the way back from uh, Heathrow, Cheryl was really quiet in the car. She was just like, like, not, not with it. I'd, I'd talked to her and I wasn't, wasn't getting much and I'm thinking, oh, you know, Obviously, I'm not in touch with my, with, with the, what's going on here. I'm doing my man thing. I haven't got a clue how she feels about this daughter going on the aeroplane. I'll just shut up. So I, I'm quiet. And, and we, anyway, we got home. We put the kettle on in the kitchen. And Cheryl said, I've got something to tell you. Your dad died last night. And so she'd taken the phone call at the airport to say that my dad had died. Now, um, He'd been, he'd, he'd been struggling with cancer, but it, it wasn't that, that that happened. He actually went into hospital for some treatment and had a heart attack while he was there, so it was really sudden, actually. So we weren't expecting that. Um, and it made me think, you know, you can't measure a person's life in terms of what they did. You, it's much more about who a person was or is, than what they do. And it's about what the impact of their lives was on other people. The love they gave, the, the joy they spread around, the care that they had, their, their being there for you. That's how we should measure a life, isn't it? The value of a life. Now, that's not necessarily what happens at funerals. Um, because, you know, I, I remember my dad's funeral and you know, we, we did all the things like played his favourite song and, and all those sort of things. And, um, you know, funeral speeches are often recorded in terms of things a person did. Like, my mum's a bit weird this way. Well, not weird, but I guess it's a generation that she's already given me all the dates and everything of where she worked, what she did, and the achievement highlights and lowlights of her life. Uh, just so that it's all there ready for the funeral and I don't have to ask other people because there's not a lot of her friends still alive because my mum's coming up to 94 now. Um, and so she, she's done all this. But when, when you're talking at a funeral, um, funerals are recounted in terms of what a person did. You know, that, um, I guess that's partly because the person talking at funerals often doesn't really know the person. Um, what they achieved their legacy, what they leave behind. 
So, you know, my dad, um, and you'll get, you'll see the point of this in a minute. You're going, like, this hasn't got a lot of Bible in it so far. You'll see the point in a minute. Um, my dad came from, I guess, as far as Kendall has slums, that's where he was born. Uh, not long after he was born, they, they moved to an, a bit of a nice house, but he came from a really hard working class background. And his dad died when he was really young. So my dad was, um, he was the youngest of eight children. So there was a sister first, then seven boys. So my dad's the, the little one. And for most of his life, I guess in common with a lot of that generation, my dad carried the effects or the emotional effects of the, the Second World War throughout his life. It, it, it became the thing that he saw the world through. Uh, because what happened is that they all went, to, apart from my dad, who uh, was actually called up but actually never went, he just went straight to national service because the war finished as he was about to be called up. Um, all their family went to war. So the sister and these six brothers all went to war. Um, one brother was uh, a, a prisoner of war, um, Another was shot down. He was, a, he was a pilot in the RAF. And uh, one of his brothers was actually torpedoed twice and swam to shore both times. The long and the short of it is that my dad's sister and six brothers all went to war and all came back. And because of that, there's, I, I've got a photo in my, in my drawer at home of them all in the local newspaper all lined up in their nice suits and things, all having been to war and come back again. Now, that's kind of unique for that generation. And, you know, I remember the stories he used to tell of what happened to them in the war and, and stuff like that. But after that, my dad did his national service. He, he served on a ship called the Duke of York. Uh, the commander of that ship was uh, now the Duke of Edinburgh. So... It, it, my dad's only memory of, of this was sailing around Scotland and being lined up by the, who's now the Duke of Edinburgh and the Duke of Edinburgh going to him, you are picked men. And my dad all, all his life thought he was a picked man. <laughs> and, um, but he, he worked hard and um, over time, you know, I, 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 was, I was born in t uh, and we had this little house. Um, it was, I, I don't know, but I used to have, have baths in a tin bath in the kitchen, because there was no bathroom in the house. Uh, there was a hot water boiler, which was a newfangled thing on the, on the wall, and we used to fill this tin bath up from the water boiler. And we were around a yard, and we used to share the toilet with four other houses. And the highlight of the year, apparently, was when all the houses got together to clean the toilet and whitewash the outside of it, because that's what they did to keep it clean and kill off all the fungus and all that sort of stuff. Um, but eventually, my dad... Uh, we, we moved to a council estate, and then eventually my dad uh, worked, saved up enough money to get their own house. And uh, by the time he uh, got to the age of 65, he, he had enough, and they had a, you know, they had a really good retirement. Um, so he, he built up little bits. You know, it's not, it wasn't a, a massive legacy. You know, you don't go in and find, oh, you know, it was a little amount of money and a house that was paid off. And the thing is that that was a testament to what he'd done in his life, what he'd earned, a testament to who he was. And 
what he, he left is that everything that my dad left was paid for. Because my, my dad and mum never be, didn't believe in debt, which is a good... By the way, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, for us as believers, it's a massive thing. Um, living in debt and living off credit is not God's best for your life. And, and if you're in that situation, then you need to start thinking about how you, you're going to move from it. But basically, everything was paid off for. So my dad left behind a legacy. And, uh, you know, I know in like TV programs, you see this guy and he, and he goes and, he, you know, they'll sit and the, the, um, the lawyer reads the will. That only happens with really rich people, by the way. You know, we didn't have enough to read the will. <laughs> So you basically get it out the drawer and read it to yourself when that happens. Um, but so, so there was a legacy left behind. But, it, you know, it's quite a small legacy. And so go with me on this, because from this came probably the biggest revelation I had in my life about how God relates to us. A legacy that's left behind is the sum of everything that's paid for. Yeah? You, you can't leave be, behind what you haven't paid for. So the only thing that you can leave behind is what he's paid for. So a legacy is everything a person has paid for in their life and still owns. It's all they have earned, and it's left for the benefit of those who benefit under the will. Yeah? You still with me? Okay. Go with me now to Hebrews chapter 9 and starting at verse 14. Because the point of all this and the point why I told you that story is that death changes everything. Death changes everything. You can't earn any more. You can't pay any more. You, you can't work any more. You can't do any more. Because you're dead. All that there is then is a legacy that you leave behind. So at the end of your life, all that will be left is what you've paid for, what you've earned. And that, that's what you'll leave behind to your heirs. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to begin at verse 14. Now, just let me warn you in advance that if you've got some uh, versions of the Bible, you'll look at this and you'll, yours won't say this. I don't have any sympathy for you. You need to get a good translation of the Bible because there is different... You actually need to read the words that were written, not what somebody thinks was written. And some translations do that. They, they put an interpretation in there for you. So in some of your translations, you won't find the key word here. But let me just say right up front that if you read the passage, it's obvious that the translation's wrong if you haven't got it. So some of you will read this and you'll read the word covenant right through it. Let me read it to you actually as it's written. Some of you will actually 
it'll say covenant, but there'll be a little note in your Bibles if you've got something like the RSV or something like that that says literally testament. Okay, that's important because throughout nine chapters, the writer of Hebrews has talked about how Jesus has given us a better covenant. And he's now going to say what that covenant is and how it works. He's going to say why it's different. And we need to know why it's different because we need to stop living like people lived in the Old Testament and dealing with God and relating to God on the basis that they dealt with, which was, I have to be good in order for God to bless me. I have to be good in order to, for God to love me. And every time I mess up, he's angry with me and hates me. That's Old Testament. And we're not born again to believe like that or relate to God like that. But sadly, that's how so much of the body of Christ relates to God. And, and it's because they miss this simple point that, that we don't have something that causes us to relate to God like that. And, and this is a really important passage because this is going to explain it. So go to verse 14. How much more? Say much more. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience? Remember, under the old covenant, we looked at this last week, they, they were sin conscious. The whole point of, of the law was to make everybody focus on what they were doing wrong. Focus on the sin in their life. Focus on their failure. Focus on their weaknesses. And, 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 be, and then approach God through sacrifice in order to get back in his favor and pay for the things that they'd done wrong. And so they, they were always sin conscious. But the goal of the new covenant is to cleanse us from consciousness of sin and make us God conscious, Christ conscious, Christ focused, Look at, living differently because we know we're loved and we love him. Not living because we're keeping a set of rules in order to try and please him. But we, we respond because we know he loved us and so we love him. The goal of a new covenant believer is to fall more and more in love with God. The goal of an old covenant believer was to focus on their sins and pay for them. The two very different things, a new covenant, or, or what we're going to discover isn't actually a covenant, is to, um, what's the word? Not pay for it, but to fall in love with God. From that, that place of knowing that he gave himself for you and he changed you so you can respond. He gave you a new heart. So here we go. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So what he's saying is that through death, Jesus dealt with the first covenant. He paid the price of the first covenant. That's what redeemed means. He paid the price for you. So you don't have to pay it. Redemption transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal, inherit eternal inheritance. Now, that's when it went off in my head. I'd, this was, I'd read this passage lots and lots of times. This is the first time I saw it. I was sat in, in a bar in Spain in the sunshine two months after my dad had died, and I was thinking as I was reading this about when my dad died. And this word, inheritance, leapt out to me. 
And then what really got my attention was the next sentence. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. And that was the first time I'd seen it, that this in Hebrews, he talked for nine chapters about a covenant, and now we have this word, testament. And it, I go, I, I, you know, like, you know, you, you realize you're on to something. And this word, like, kept coming, what's a testament? Now, I, I would not have seen this if my dad hadn't died just a couple of months earlier. I'd have just, you know, like your skim read, and you just miss things. But look at this. By the way, that's where some of you will still have covenant. But it can't be because it's talking about something that only comes into force when somebody dies. That's a testament. Testament is the right translation. It is actually the word that's written there. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Say testament. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. My dad's will had sat in a drawer probably for 30 years, gathering dust, never been opened since the day it was written. It had no effect. It didn't do anything. But now, because of death, it comes into effect. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. And then go on um, a little bit further. Um, where have I gone to from there? Sorry, I'm reading off my notes instead of... Uh, yeah, so uh, verse 8. Go down to... Um, go down to verse 22. For according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly them things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What's that talking about? That's talking about that for something to take eternal effect in heaven, it needed to fulfill and replace the, the, the shadow or the weaker copy that man had been relating to God on before. So until that point, heaven's relationship with man was governed by the law, the old covenant. But through the shedding of blood, the, the failings of that covenant were purified and what came into effect was a testament, something that takes effect after a person's death. Remember, the sum of all they have earned and paid for. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. Um, what that's saying is that basically the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies every year and he have to, had to offer a sacrifice for the whole people and the whole system was repeat, repeat, repeat. Same old, same old. Getting yourself uh, right with God, failing again, getting yourself right with God, bringing the sacrifices, paying the price, failing again, failing again, same old, same old. And it's saying this isn't same old, same old. The high priest used to do that every year. You remember when you're coming off for sacrifices, guys? You remember when you had to pay the price of the old covenant? Well, this is different because Jesus has done it, but he doesn't do it every year. He's done it once forever. 
enters the most holy place every year with blood. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared, that's Jesus, to what? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's really important. That word put away. Um, how can I express that to you? Because you, you can miss that. That Jesus at that point, came to deal with man on the basis of man's sinfulness. And he came to do it in such a way that he put away the consequences of that sinfulness forever. That word put away is what you would use when you get back from your holidays, or no, maybe a different one. This is, this is a girly illustration. Men won't understand this because we're not allowed, like the, the, the quantity of wardrobes that ladies are allowed. But you know, like, ladies, you know, like, you've got, you go, oh, I couldn't possibly find anything to wear, and you've got six rows of the stuff. And, and, but none of it matches, does it? You know, just at that important moment, none of it matches. But after a while, stuff goes out of fashion, doesn't it? it you're never going to wear it again. So what do you do? You get a black bin bag... Hopefully, you don't just keep storing it in your wardrobe. You get a black bing bag, you put it all in that black bing bag, tie the top and take it to a charity shop or give it away to somebody. That's the sense of this world putting away. It's like, it's like the way you put it away. You pack a case or you pack a bin bag and you get rid of it and it's out of your life forever. You got that? Because this is really important. It affects the whole way you relate to God. It affects the whole way you pray. In fact, more importantly, it removes a lot of the barriers that we have in our heads to stop us seeing the power of God in our life. Are you still with me, by the way? Nikki, she's going, oh, this is a really interesting law lesson. <laughs> and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ is offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, believers, that's us, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So when Jesus comes back, he isn't going to be looking at your sin because he's already dealt with it. So for those who believe, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to give us a new body, a new life, and raise us up again to eternal life um, in a resurrected body. And it's not about dealing with sin because that was dealt with 2,000 years ago. For believers. So that's how he relates to us now. Let me repeat what I said last week because we don't get on to it until later on in Hebrews. That doesn't mean you go off and sin and it doesn't matter. People who think that are stupid. <laughs> Say after me, stupid. stupid. Let's, let's just emphasize it. They are idiots. Try that. Idiots. Go on. Idiots. Why? Because sin's destructive. Sin messes up your life. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill your friendships. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll kill your health. And ultimately, it'll harden your heart so you can't hear God. So don't, that, that's not the point. The point is how you get free from sin and how you relate to God. Here we go. Okay, so, where am I going with this? So we have what? What's our relationship with God? 
do we? We have a testament. We have the benefit of a will. That means there's nothing you're paying for. There's nothing you're earning and nothing you can get by your own effort. Let me, let me show you this. What's, what's the definition of what we've got? We, we've got this thing called a testament. Let me show you what, what a testament is. Testament, do you, what's, what do you get at the top of a will? In my dad's case, it said, the last will and testament of Dennis Baines of 146 Stainbank Road, Kendall. Yeah? The last will and testament. What we have isn't a contract with terms for us to keep or things to do to please the other party. It's a testament. It's a last will and testament. Now, here's a, here's a definition of what a testament is or, or what a will is. And... Uh, I'll read you this. I looked this up in the, in the legal dictionary. Nikki, you'll be pleased with me. Uh, by the way, can I just say how much more interested in concise accountancy textbooks are than law? No, they're not. They're very exciting. Accountants are very excited. A will and testament is a legal document by which a person, the testator, that's Jesus, expresses their desire how their property is to be distributed after their death. The testator must identify themselves as the writer of the will. Signed in blood. Here we go. There's the will. What's it called? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Indicate that they intend this to be a legal document. Well, we just read that's what's intended. This is done by declaring it how. How do you indicate it's going to be a legal document? You have to declare it's a testament. That's why it's called a testament, because it's a legal document. In the heavenlies, it's binding. You can't, you can't argue with it. And sign the will. The property distributed covers everything that the testator had accumulated during their life. Everything they had earned and paid for. Everything that they had gained by their efforts. Are you, are you with me? Because this is massive. If, you, if we can get this, we will see the kingdom of God explode in our lives. Sorry, I've lost, lost where I am in my notes completely. Here we go. Everything we get from Christ was earned and paid for by who? Him. We've no part in it and there's no point us trying to have a part. All we... Our part is to receive the benefits of the testament. So imagine if one of the beneficiaries of a will, so there's lots of money left, you know, one of those rich families you see in Agatha Christie's, where you've got the really solemn lawyer who gets the will out of the briefcase. And imagine that there's this huge amount of money left. Let's assume that nobody was murdered for this, the, the point of this, but a huge amount of money left. How stupid would you think it if, at the end of reading the will, and everybody's been told everything, that you know, this massive inheritance they've got, how stupid would you think it was if somebody then said, let me pay for it? I mean, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah. You go like, well, no, it's, it's yours. No, no, I want to pay for it. I want to pay for it. Well, 
He can't. He's dead. He's not here. Who are you going to pay? No, I really do want to pay for it. I really want to do sure I'm worthy to get it. Well, he thought you were worthy. And he isn't here. So what are you going to do? It would be stupid, wouldn't it? And yet that's how most believers live their Christian walk. It's just huge. There is no legal mechanism to pay for anything under a will. That's not how a will works. Trying to pay is futile. It's also very, very tiring and frustrating because you're trying to do something that's not possible. And you're trying to run your relationship with God on the basis of something that is now dealt with than on the basis of the fact he loves you with a reckless love and has given you new life. You know, I was um, talking to somebody this week, um, a, a lady, and, and she was saying, she was talking me through a bit of her life story. And um, some of you uh, will know this lady because she's visited Faith Life on different occasions when we've had events and stuff like that. And she was saying that uh, one of the things that uh, she'd really felt um, during her, I guess, the last 20 years is that she needed to uh, go into ministry and, and be more full-time in ministry for God. But she'd not done it. And a few years ago, um, she suffered. She, she was actually doing our, the, the, our Bible school, but the first time we ran it. And she, she, uh, her health started to deteriorate, and she suffered complete renal failure. And so she was in hospital for a lot, you know, absolutely ages on dialysis and all that sort of stuff. So, and the doctor said, you need the transplant. There's not, absolutely nothing we can do. And, and you know, I, I know this story, so it's, uh, I, apparently what happened was that I uh, heard she was in hospital and I uh, sent a Facebook message because she's one of these people that communicates through Facebook saying, did she need anything and could we do any shopping for her uh, or take anything in or whatever? Um, and she said, no, what, what can you come and pray for me? So... Part, you know, I did. It's kind of been, you know, your story's five years on. Um, so I did. And, and what happened was that from that moment, she started to get better. And her kidneys started to function again. And she's never had to have that transplant. And she doesn't have to have dialysis. In fact, she's totally normal. Now, what was the issue? The issue was that she thought she'd let God down and couldn't get healed. And what I did apparently was I explained to her that it didn't depend on her, it depended on his goodness. And therefore, it wasn't about whether she'd let God down or not, it was about how much he loved her. And that allowed her 
to have faith stirred in her heart and receive her healing, which was hers. It's her inheritance. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the big thing. We are receivers, not achievers. Say, I'm a receiver, not an achiever. Now, how many times have you heard that? Is that the first time? Right, okay, because I think people must have heard that loads of times. But actually, you're a receiver, not an achiever. You cannot achieve a testament. All you can do is receive a testament. So we need to, to, to allow our hearts to make that change of the way we re relate to God. That we are receivers of his goodness, and our response to that is praise and thanksgiving. Are, are you still with me? Yeah. Good. Now, what happens with a will when somebody doesn't like a will? Have you ever, come, ever had a family member who didn't like a will? What do they do? They contest it, don't they? Now, we have somebody who's contesting this will that we have, this testament that is ours. He's called Satan. He's called the enemy. And he contests it. And he, 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 will, he will come to you and say, God's not going to answer your prayer because you did that. God's not going to answer your prayer because you didn't do enough of that. God's not going to answer your prayer because you haven't had 600 people praying. And even if you had, you'd need 700 for what you've done wrong. And he, he comes at us like this and contests the will. Now, that's called the accuser or the contester. Whose say stands in, finally in a court? Is it the accuser and the contester or who else? The judge. Who's the judge? God. Right, so if I was in a legal court and, and I took the will that we'd been given and stood before a judge and the, the, the enemy or my enemy came along and started contesting it, this is what the judge would say when he'd listen to everybody. This is what he'd say. This is not a contract. It's a will and a testament. It's been properly written down and declared by somebody of sound mind called God. And I can see that right at the bottom, it's signed in blood. It's not my job to assess the merits of the person receiving the benefit under this will. It's my job to enforce the terms of the will because that is how a testament operates in law. Therefore, accuser, your evidence is inadmissible. It's my job to enforce the will of the testator and they are clear. So get out of my courtroom right now, case dismissed. We should get a cheer for that one. You know, that's how we should treat the enemy when he comes in our life. That's how we should treat him when he comes lying. You say, case dismissed. You were dealt with 2,000 years ago. You get out of my life. You've no rights in my life. You can't push me around like that because I'm loved by the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he beat you 2,000 years ago. So don't come around here with your lies because you're dealing on the wrong basis. I haven't got a contract. I've got a testament. I'm a receiver, not an achiever. And the more you come at me, the more I'm going to fall in love with the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen.
Now, here's a question for you. When does, a testament, when does this testament start? When did it start? When Jesus died. The New Testament does not start at the beginning of the Gospels. It starts at the end. We've put the thing in the wrong place because we have an Old Covenant and a New Testament. And the New Testament starts with the cross, not with Jesus being born. And what you'll find is that sometimes Jesus will operate under the law and he'll quote the law and he'll use it to condemn those who think they can earn their own salvation. And he'll, he'll absolutely crucify the Pharisees with the law. But for one who thinks they don't deserve it, like, like the, the, the lady, uh, the prostitute, or like Zacchaeus or people like that, he'll deal with them under grace. So you have to see what Jesus is doing. Because he came under the law to redeem those under the law. Jesus lived under the law. The New Testament starts with the cross, not the beginning of the Gospels. And that's really important because some of us quote Jesus' phrases like the law, and they aren't. The ways of condemning the Pharisees to say, you can never get to God by your own efforts. And if you're going to try, I'm going to make it harder for you because you're saying that I don't have to, uh, you know, that I haven't committed adultery. Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to raise the bar. If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're condemned. If you want to go under the law, that's how it works, guys. Again, let me come back. Does that mean we should go offensive? No, that would be stupid. Go on, stupid. stupid. I would be an idiot for thinking that. Yeah? Go on, say, I would be an idiot. But I'm not. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm nearly finished now. I just want to show you one more thing. There's a reason a will is called a will. Have you ever thought of that? There's a reason a will is called a will. You see, even lawyers don't just admit things to annoy us. I did some research and found out this word will comes from an old, uh, older world, William, who is not a, well, he is a Chelsea player, but that's not who we're talking about. William. And it means to determine by act of choice, to wish or desire something to be, someone willing something to happen. Someone willing something to happen. Now, let me show you this. This is my last point. You know, where. Uh, how long have I got? I was, uh, I was talking to uh, an old friend of mine. I haven't, I haven't seen him for, I guess, 30 years. But, so I've got in contact again recently. He lives, lives in Kendall. And as, as teenagers, we, we both went to the same church youth group. Uh, and, and we used to wander around the school field at lunchtime talking about God and and, and we kind of did our journey together. But over the years, he, he sort of, well, he, he's on his third marriage. He, hasn't re, he isn't really there with God at all. And anyway, so he's talking to me on Facebook and he said, um, well, I was telling my brother-in-law about you and, and he's a vicar. So I thought you might have something in common. And anyway, so I, he said, I was telling my brother-in-law about this, and, and unfortunately, he took the opportunity to talk to me about God again. Um, 
and and I said to him, well, kind of what what's going on there? So he didn't he didn't answer, and he said, I've seen I was looking on Facebook. I see you've got healing ministry, and and I thought, well, that's a really unusual thing to say. And I, so I, I responded to him and said, well, I haven't healed anybody. It's just like this, that I believe, so I see. I receive, because I believe. And I said, Stephen, that, that, that's kind of how it is with our walk with God. You know, like when we used to go around the school fair, that's how we used to talk. And, we, and, and I, I went back and I challenged him. At which point he's gone silent. But that's all right, because I'm going up to Kendall soon. <laughs> but this testament we have is dealt with. It's finished. You know, there's nothing we can do. When Jesus said, it is finished, the con yeah, he meant it. But the, 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 the way that word is, what it means is it's completely complete and perfectly perfect. This is a perfect testament we have. It's completely complete. And, and so, let me show you the difference. Let me look at uh, three verses from Deuteronomy, and then, then we, we can't, we, we'll be done at the end of this, uh, when I show you the difference. So, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. I've lost me. I'm putting stuff down all over the place today, aren't I? Now, it shall come to pass, if you, say if you, Diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, all these blessings, the blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Why? Because I obey. The blessings come upon me because I obey. Yeah? Let's go on a little bit further. But it shall come to pass if you uh, do not obey, so if you don't obey, carefully the voice of the Lord to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes, all the curses will come upon you. And overtake you. So whatever you got depends on how much you obeyed and how much you did, yeah? Just to finish that off, uh, going on to verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes. Because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. That's all about you, isn't it? Yeah. You didn't. You did, you didn't. You did, you didn't. You didn't hear the voice of the Lord. You didn't follow the commands. You didn't obey. And therefore, you didn't get the blessings, you got the curses. The penalties. Yeah? Okay. Let's take it a bit further. So the old covenant was based on what you did. Access to the blessings of God, the healing, the deliverance, the life change, the power of God was based on the goodness of man. It was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. It was all about what you do. Now, we have something called a will, a will and testament. Watch this. The New Testament is different because it is based on the will of God. It's his will and his desires that have been fulfilled. It's his will that is written down. 
They're not, none of that is based on your done or attempts to earn it. It's based on his will that took effect by Jesus paying the price with his life and leaving behind his last will and testament. Now go with me because I'm going to expand on this next week. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 to 12. Now, I want you to see some things here. Remember the old one, it says, because you did. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to or not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, the law when Moses went up the mountain and brought the law down. That's the covenant he's talking about. Because they did not continue in my covenant, and I had to disregard them, says the Lord. If they continued in his covenant, God would have been able to bless them, and they would have been his people, and he would have been their God. But because they didn't, he couldn't bless them. They weren't his people, and they denied he was their God. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for everyone will know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For why? Because I'm merciful. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. What is the last will and testament of Jesus? It's his will. I will that you are my people. I will that I love you. I will that I rescue you. I will that I save you. I will that I take you by the hand. I will that you know me. I will that I know you. I will that you know my heart, that you know how much I care, that you know how much I love you. I will. And the way I'm going to will it is I'm going to take everything out of the way so it's just me and you, nothing between us. That's my last will and testament. Now you see this. You getting that? We're done. Let's stand.